Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're going to be talking about the mystery of the dead eagles. Stay tuned. we're back riley how you feeling man it's been a while for it's been a while at least for our listeners they don't know it's it's every week but for us it's been a couple weeks now hasn't it yeah yeah things have been going um a little crazy life um been driving a lot and uh yeah we closed on a house first first oh. time home buyers right so okay congrats very stressful um i don't know if you know this but um hopefully not be buying a house for a number of years because oh my lord um realtors housing market's not I, great right now i mean so we got an off-market deal it's called so oh, like i don't huh. know i just did a posting i was like anybody looking to sell a house and like this random person's like yeah we are a couple people reached out like this like these pre-market houses because we were looking at there was no no houses and i was like hmm. Ugh. but um yeah so they had it, it was relatively cheaper because we didn't we used a realtor as a fiduciary it's called a what fiduciary it's like their best interest in mind type hmm. of, they basically were doing the paperwork um, gotcha. type of situation um it worked out well knock on wood i mean we'll see but um, okay yep home inspections all that's been going on so um the wife's been a little a little stressed too but it or nerves excited how about that okay but, um, that sounds yeah okay it's daylight savings time change and it's yeah. dark out right now and i'm i'm very sad <laughs> <laughs> we are in winter like this is like to oh, yeah. me like the first like blip of winter you know what i'm saying so, oh i know exactly what you're saying no well i think we're supposed to be stopping that 2023 right they signed that didn't they sign that bill in like march wait what there's gonna be no daylight savings time i'm fairly positive wow that's I mean, not a thing always, anymore, every single year like in 2023 like, they always talk about that and then like every single newspaper has to be like why are we doing daylight savings time anymore it's like twice a year you always get that like well when did this even start anyway <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure that was like the only thing that congress accomplished during covid was they were like all right let's just let's just get rid of this all right wow. we can all agree on that i didn't even realize that that's interesting yeah huh how's uh mm -hmm. how's how's matt g been doing uh i've been doing good so i talked i was i was listening back to the last podcast and i talked about how i came back from albany and i realized it was very rude of me to not talk about albany at all it is a great city okay. i did i did i did some sightseeing so the conference was an entire week so i couldn't do much sightseeing during the week but friday the conference ended at noon and my flight left left at six so i had a lot of downtime Mm -hmm. so i went down i walked all the way kind of past the capitol building beautiful kind of architecture i walked down towards um their the state museum of new york i think it's called um, walked around there for a while i'm okay. a huge history guy so i got to got to read up on a lot of that stuff yeah this and how is like your, your stopping grounds too uh, kind of i mean closer <laughs> than alabama <laughs> um but yeah, it was it was nice. Got to have some some good food, some good pizza. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. It was 
it was kind of funny. I had this moment when I was walking to get some pizza and I was like, oh man, that's right. I forgot like how great the city is because it's so convenient mm-hmm. and it's just like, you can just walk everywhere, grab my pizza. And then on the way back, I got harassed by like two or three guys just because like <laughs> I was just walking, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, all right, now I remember why I hate the city. <laughs> the East Coast. Yeah. I know. I'm just like, rude. Oh, Welcome home party for Matt. Oh, poor Matt. <laughs> just leave me alone, man. I just want eat my pizza alone in my hotel room i could just see it for some reason the soprano like theme song is going on in the background <laughs> when you're walking but, i like I mean, the reality this... from the east coast it's funny <laughs> oh man um but besides that i mean yeah the uh the conference was was a lot of fun uh so i got to um, meet up with some people that i met at a previous conference i was the only one in our lab that went so i really had to branch out a little bit and meet people but yeah Yeah. but that was a lot of fun um aside from that um yeah just fiance and i trying to get more wedding stuff figured out we're trying to trying to get hotels now because of course when the weekend we're going to get married there's an auburn home game in town so that yeah not ideal because yeah. depending on your wedding time, Riley mm-hmm. might be going to a game. <laughs> <laughs> like Thanks, I'm Riley. looking at ticket times, and I was like, Ooh, "It's the Ole Miss game too, so it'll let's be a good make game. it work." I was like, "Because I'd love to go back." My wife's really excited because um, we love there. And everybody, if if you hear me and it's echoey, it's because there's literally nothing in this room. Like it's just <laughs> bare walls now. Like we're, we're like slowly moving out. So, um, but yeah the going to an Auburn game I would I was like I would really like to uh really like to do it so we'll see I'm, I'm mean, gonna be looking I out during we'll the ceremony see Matt too but whatever yeah <laughs> looking out during the ceremony and be like oh I don't, I don't see Riley or Sam here <laughs> you guys come running like, in late wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll just right, man, War Eagle. <laughs> oh, we'll get we'll take it um Angelia our one um lab mate as well yeah, yeah. Mm. Her and Jason. Oh, it'll be a great time. Get the get the gang back together. The gang. Um but yeah. But yeah, I tried I felt so proud of myself. I did so much homework. I went back in time like five years to the Auburn's previous five um like schedules and I was mm-hmm. like, All right, this third week in October, it's either an away game or a bye week. Like, bam, like we're set. And of course, this is the first year in like six years that it's the home game next year. Oh man. So that, that's what I get for doing any homework whatsoever because then the have... other date we were going to talk about was the week before and of course that's an away game so it's like ah, that's what we get <laughs> so what are you going to do for a hotel room so everybody for you don't know like alabama is very auburn excuse me is a very <clears throat> it's a bigger town but it's still a small town feel so oh, like yeah um, not only that it it revolves yeah. around football like so the town like the, shuts the down town, yeah shuts down but also swells with i don't yeah. know double the amount of people for a oh. home game easily yeah if not more than that so um so yeah so that's our biggest hurdle right now is getting hotels so we for sure have 10 rooms on the other side of town which over in opelika and the next town over which isn't ideal but it's better than nothing mm-hmm. um most of the hotels in town aren't even giving us the time of day because they're like well it's it's a football weekend so you guys are just well, that's well. <laughs> yep um, even the heart. one over <laughs> the one in Opelika, they gave us 10 rooms and they, they did like sometimes for, um, weddings or stuff like they'll give you a block and they just mm-hmm. like, all right, well you can fill as much as this as you can kind of thing. 
-hmm. and then depending on availability like if you fill nine we won't charge you for that 10th one um this hotel they're like nah like no matter what if these rooms aren't filled you guys are paying no matter if it's one room or all 10 rooms jeez I don't know. So I mean, you could shuttle people to. That's a word. Montgomery. <laughs> well, yeah, we're just Wars we're getting a. The plan was to get like a bus or a shuttle anyway to the hotel. We were hoping Woo! we could get everyone at one hotel. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then what else is going on? Um, my fiance takes her big. So my fiance is in vet school. So for those of you who don't know, and the big test you take when you're in vet school to like kind of qualify to become a vet is called the navli so she takes that in two weeks so she Uh-oh. is stressed Excuse yeah a lot, lot going on here man i know this is why we <laughs> haven't done this because it's uh both of our lives have been great yeah. okay. but okay let's get this started let's get this yeah started. let's hop into it okay hi everybody welcome back to freshwater perspectives uh i am riley buley and one of your co-hosts my other co-host is is matt gladfelter matt's gonna lead discussion today and what are we talking about matt all right riley so today we're going to be talking about a unsolved mystery at least until recently and by recently okay. i mean like two years ago it was an unsolved mystery for 25 years where really? oh yeah 25 years um i'm actually surprised you didn't hear about this because it was a big story once they finally figured it out <clears throat> but so um back in 1994, 29 bald eagles were found dead in or around uh, Lake DeGray in Arkansas. Hmm. And then, so obviously that was that was kind of a big deal. And then <laughs> um, that, that 29 bald eagles would quickly rise to 60 by what? the year 2000. Really? Spread across, and that and the, the lakes affected spl- spread as well. So there was the Gray Lake, Lake Wachita, and Lake Hamilton, all in, all in Arkansas. Um, eyewitnesses talked about the eagles almost kind of appearing drunk, they said, stumbling, struggling to take flight, some even crashing into cliffs or trees. Jeez. Uh, and it didn't take long for similar reports to begin spreading throughout the southeast, actually. Question. Um, yeah just bald eagles or other birds so i'll get to that in a second dang yeah you're you're jumping the gun a little bit reports quickly spread throughout the southeast and yes it did affect species beyond bald eagles so it was a lot of avian different avian variety and waterfowl so a lot of species that you would expect in or around a, a a lake system right um owls um a lot of waterfowl herons things like that um so as you can imagine a lot of people were imagining this was becoming an epidemic some sort of pathogen something that was spreading very quickly um and a bunch of different government agencies and advocacy groups tried to get together uh after a while it didn't take long it took about two years about 1996 the cause of the death was identified, which was vacuolar myelinopathy. Please don't ask me to pronounce that too many more times. Um, it's a neurological disease that has been known to affect many different water birds. And like I said previously, including waterfowl, killdeer, owls, and a bunch more. The disease causes lesions on the brain, spinal cord that is eventually fatal. And once identified, the researchers were able to confirm the reports across the Southeast 
However, even though the disease was identified, the root cause was still a huge mystery. So they were able to, so I guess one of the big suspicions was that it was kind of correlation doesn't equal causation, that just because we're seeing all these bird deaths doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're all from the same thing. But okay. now that they were able to identify that, all right, well, if they're all suffering from vacuolar myelinopathy, then yeah, it's the same cause kind of thing. So that was the through line that they were able to connect all these different avian deaths with. Does that make sense? Interesting. Okay. But still don't know what still don't know what the root cause is. So they okay. have I guess the kind of the disease that is caused by whatever is actually influencing the the waterfowl or the mm -hmm. eagles. So the researchers working with the U.S. Geological Survey, the USGS, mm -hmm. were at the forefront of identifying vacuolar uh, myelinopathy and trying to understand its true cause. So they were collecting tissue samples from a wide range of sites and species, hoping to find, again, that through link, kind of connecting all these cases. And after some time, they were able to rule out pathogens. They were able to rule out industrial waste. They were able to rule out pollutions. And they were even able to rule out algal toxins like microcystins that we've covered over and over again, either here on the podcast or over on the website, fishwaterandtravel.com. And just as fast as progress was being made on all this, they once they hit a dead end, all the funding ran out. So the project was essentially orphaned by the year 2000. Hmm. And that was pretty surprising to me. Um, I also want to go ahead and backtrack here. A lot of the work for this story was done by two uh two great articles one by eric stodsket stockstad from nature magazine and the other bill bowden at arkansas democrat gazette so huge shout out to them for doing a lot of this research for me so i didn't have to do as much like i do for a lot of my previous stories um but yeah so the fact that i mean i guess like you know usgs is like any government funded agency where a lot of their money is soft right so if progress isn't being made on a particular project they're going to take that money move it somewhere else but it seemed like this was a really big issue that wasn't really resolved hmm yeah yeah i mean so their money comes in through really like congress i know yeah mm -hmm. maybe just reallocation of funds or yeah i, I wonder so depending on the government agency they can get these uh, kind of fast response grants or like, at least I know in the Habs community, I think it's called like a rapid grant in, in response to something like that or mm -hmm. something like that. It's some yeah. sort of acronym. Like I remember that. I worked for the USGS when like Zika mm -hmm. came out and I think there was rapid funding. I'm not sure what mm -hmm. happened, but I remember that was like a, I was like, oh yeah, like you guys got any Zika projects? Yeah. Or something? I don't know, something like that, but uh <laughs> Yeah. yeah, neither of those articles um, from Arkansas or in Nature Magazine really went into the USGS side of things and really mm -hmm. talked about the funding. They just kind of talked about how the US just kind of, the USGS just kind of dropped it after around the year 2000 once the money right. dried up, which is, again, totally understandable. If the money's not there, you can't, especially as a government agency, you don't really have pet projects. Mm -hmm. So, um, so like I said, project was essentially orphaned by the year 2000, but there was one person in one lab that was still trying to carry the torch. And that person was Susan wild working at the university of Georgia uh, over in Athens. 
and she continued to try to work to to uncover the culprit here. Uh, despite intermittent funding she had, she really didn't have as much funding as you would expect from like a huge kind of setup or really. Um, she didn't really have a, any grant dedicated to this project in particular. She was really just kind of cobbling uh, research projects together between graduate students and undergrads. Uh, but her team gathered water samples and conducted surveys from several different sites. And the main connection she found between all these different sites was that the invasive hydrilla weed was present at each site. And for those of you who don't know about hydrilla, it is a terrible issue going on. I mean, it started in Florida. That's kind of where it took roots. And then it's just fanned out throughout the entire Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look it up, I mean, you'll see it's it's everywhere. It's almost impossible to get rid of. I mean, we can go off on a little side tangent here for a second. It just, it grows very densely and it grows really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so many states are dealing with it and they've tried like chemical removal um they've tried physical removal biological controls i mean there have been states that have tried introducing uh like grass carps grass carp either don't like eating it or they can't eat enough of it kind of thing mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean funny enough actually the most effective way to deal with hydrilla is actually the uh like this is again like a huge tangent but you actually found that it was a combination of water level so if it's a huge like reservoir system uh if if you're able to raise the water level you're just going to end up light limiting it right so it can't get enough light to photosynthesize so then it just dies and then a couple other papers that i've read have talked about the flow rate affecting them significantly to where if the flow rate is too high then they can't take root which makes sense Hmm. i guess right so yeah. Um, but that only kind of encompasses a small range of reservoirs that are able to raise their water level significantly or create enough flow. So, huh. yeah. But yeah, hydrilla is absolutely huge problem. But anyway, back to our story. So that was just a long way of saying hydrilla is absolutely everywhere. So not a huge surprise that it was in a bunch of these different reservoirs, but it was a it was a connection nonetheless. So... In 2001, Dr. Wilde and her team found dark spots on the underside of several hydrilla leaves, and she was able to identify that these dark spots were, in fact, colonies of some unidentified cyanobacteria, or at least one that she wasn't able to identify. Um, She was able to actually figure out that the species wasn't taxonomically described at the time. So again, this is 2001. And then if we fast forward real quick to 2014, Dr. Wilde was actually later able to name it herself and she named it adichthonos hydrilocola adichthonos hydrocola hydrilocola yeah so she was actually able to so she identified the mm-hmm. cyanobacteria or the blue green algae and she was later able to name it which was really cool she didn't name it after herself no 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 oh it's... how nice of her i would do it definitely yeah. name it after myself <laughs> <laughs> bulicus bulei or something like that <laughs> Uh, so after working with the with the blue green algae for a period of time, uh, Doctor Wild suspected that the that it was producing some sort of neurotoxin that was then producing you know causing these uh, the brain lesions that uh, vacuolar myelinopathy that we talked about earlier, and she designed a a, a series of 
experiments to confirm these suspicions. So she fed hydrilla to mallard ducks, and only ducks that ate the hydrilla with the blue-green algae on them actually developed brain lesions. Hmm. So you can probably say at the, you know, at this point the story's over, the book's closed, uh, the mystery's solved. Kind of that that vacuolar myelinopathy is caused by some sort of toxin produced by yeah. the blue-green algae uh, that was residing underneath the leaves of invasive hydrilla. You know, like kind of case closed, mm-hmm. but researchers around the world as you know just kind of that natural curiosity they wanted to figure out they wanted to actually identify that toxin so this is kind of where we depart for a second from dr wild's story and we kind of go around the world and we're kind of gonna maybe jump around here a little bit but there was uh, a lab over in germany at martin luther university uh headed by timo niedermeyer and Dr. Niedermeyer was able to culture this, this cyanobacteria and was working on identifying a toxin. But they found that the cultured algae wasn't actually producing lesions when fed to chickens in the lab. Uh, but this didn't deter, didn't deter them. Uh, and after a series of trial and error experiments, they actually found that the addition of bromide to the culture solution caused the algae to produce the toxin. Uh, which they later identified was was one super potent, and not only was it incredibly potent at low concentrations, but it also affected fish, it infected insects, and affected worms. So it you bromide. know kind of spanned, yeah, bromide. Isn't that interesting? What mm-hmm. is bromide? Isn't bromide <laughs> like, in salt water? So in marine systems, yes, and but it's also freshwater too. You're asking a fantastic question, Riley, and we're going to yeah. get to that in just Uh-oh. a second. Shoot. Yeah. No, this is great. Um, so what the kind of leading hypothesis was then, of course, is that even though, you know, even if a small amount of this toxin was being produced, it was at the very least being bioaccumulated in a lot of the the food webs around these lakes. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're having fish that are constantly taking in this toxin. And the biggest thing they found was that it was, um, I believe it was fat soluble or I don't, I'm sorry, let me double check. I want to make sure that I'm getting my facts right here. Um, but it was, oh, God damn it. yeah, it is fat soluble. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, so they found that they're, that the toxin was in fact fat soluble, uh, which apparently is pretty unusual for algal toxins. I'm not a toxicologist or anything, um, mm-hmm. but if it's fat soluble, then I do know for a fact that it is very easy to accumulate in the tissues and it's very hard to get rid of once something is fat soluble. So it can sit in the tissue and it can sit in there for a while. So even if the fish weren't getting a high dose, they were getting that dose and holding on to it. So they were accumulating it over time. And then, of course, you know, you get organisms that eat a lot of fish, like birds mm-hmm. of prey, for instance. And then that's how they're getting a high dose of, of toxin. They're getting these brain lesions. So that's so where that stuff by kind of accumulating up to yes, the eagles absolutely. then, huh? Because I was mm-hmm. like, eagles don't eat hydrilla. No. So the, ah. the fish are grazing. They're either grazing directly on the algae or the hydrilla or there's just enough of a dose in the water that when the fish are swimming near it it's a, you know it's getting into their bodies through the gills and then as it gets mm. in the blood screen bloodstream it gets stored in their in their fat dang so really? that's yeah oh yeah so huh. the big thing was the bromide right the bromide so you talked about you talked about bromide in 
in marine systems, which is very true. So bromide, bromines and bromides, bromides, I should say, bromine mm-hmm. is the, is the element bromide is that, you know, the compound. Yeah. Um, so bromides are common relatively in marine systems, but they are very rare in freshwater. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So they can be found in some geologic structures, mm-hmm. but not to the extent that was seen spreading across the entire Southeast. There's no geologic pattern that matches that. Okay. However, do you know where bromides are found, Riley? I, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm trying to think like freshwater system. Yeah. S- road salt. Yeah, so that's one of the of the many. Really? So okay. flame retardants. Think of like salt yep. around. Okay. Okay. Uh, flame it... retardants, fracking fluids, road salt, really? herbicides. Yep. Flame and retardants. And herbicides. Yep. And <clears throat> the main herbicide, which is kind of brings things full circle, one of the biggest herbicides that contains bromide is diquap bro- dibromide, which is an herbicide that is used to treat hydrilla. No, uh, really? <laughs> yep. Oh. Yep. I know Diquat. Diquat has bromide in it, huh? I th- or is it yeah, a specific Diquat, kind of? Diquat? I think it's a. I think it's just like the the name of the structure is Diquat dibromide. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's so, a common herbicide that was being used to try to treat hydrilla, yeah. but in the end, they were they ended up just Uh-oh. fueling this toxic algae really yeah interesting oh yeah it's oh, killing but, the birds yeah so as far as where this kind of brings us to today um we talked about physical or biological controls uh once this was you know again this was an unsolved mystery for 25 years like this this article in, in uh, science uh, science magazine only mm-hmm. came out uh, in 20 let me just get the exact date March 25th 2021 so hmm. yeah so very Whoa. very recent um, but as far as you know kind of what was the response to this and there was a there was a corresponding paper that was a research paper that was of course published and so the Army Corps of Engineer they they've been trying to release again, herbivorous fish to try to take down the hydrilla uh different states like georgia and south carolina they've tried removing it by hand and since they've absolutely stopped the chemical uh the chemical application of these chemical herbicides they they haven't found any more any more sick bald eagles which is really a huge plus but yeah i think um yeah i i I thought this was a crazy story (laughs) And I'm actually surprised. Like I said, I'm a little surprised you hadn't heard of it. I haven't heard Uh, of it. It was a, it was a huge deal when it came out out of the bird loop. Yeah. I, this was one of those stories that just kind of kept on going where you're talking about, Oh yeah. All right. Well, they found it was this vacuolar myelinopathy. All right. Case closed. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, Oh wait, all right. Well, it's a toxin. All right. Well, the toxin is causing, causing the myelinopathy simple enough. And they're like, well, it's not that simple because the, cyanobacteria needs bromine needs bromide to produce it all right well where are they getting the bromide from is it somewhere in the lake well no they're actually getting it from the chemical that's being used to try to treat Catch the plant 22. that the cyanobacteria is living yeah. on and it's just one of those like <sighs> yeah so the treatments must not have been doing good if there's or even if they are doing good right <laughs> so even if you're killing 
yeah. some of the hydrilla or all of it. Let's let's mm-hmm. go ahead and say you're killing all of it. It's just going to grow back, not mm-hmm. and not you know maybe in like a year. And when it does, yeah. all that bromide is just going to come circling back up through the water column. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this story. It wasn't the longest, but I no, that's okay. I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, any any other remarks, Riley? I, yeah, I literally have not heard of this. Jeez. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like reading about bromides for... I mean, I did control stuff for my master's and my doctorate. So mm-hmm. something with bromides in the ocean, this is an aside, but um, it uh, reacts with ozone and makes it like toxic something. Toxic, or either the bromide gets toxic, bromine gets toxic, or the ozone gets toxic but anyways hmm. um insults hmm. i really have no comment mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like poor owls for some reason the owls are sticking out to me i like uh, owls. not the eagles not i the like how they eagles. can go like all the way around you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know exactly what you mean um but I'm, i was just i was trying to look around on different websites and find mm-hmm. different articles and see if anyone's kind of have any more concrete your management strategy for this rather than just seeing like all right well we'll get rid of it when we get rid of it sort of thing mm-hmm. and again it kind of it's a lake by lake basis i guess just because so many different lakes are are managed differently and if we mm-hmm. go back to arkansas so i talked about georgia and south carolina that have tried the biological and the physical control going back to arkansas and lake de and lake wachita uh they've tried they've talked about i don't, I don't know if they've actually been able to do this successfully yet, but they talked about not only tearing up the hydrilla, but replacing it with another uh, emergent sort of vegetation like coontail they mentioned. Um, So that way you're not only just getting rid of the hydrilla, but you're actually replacing it and getting rid of it in the, uh, in that, in, in the substrate. Huh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah, then my question. That. Yeah. Yeah. But then my question is so is the toxic cyanobacteria, the hydrolocola, is it specifically, you know, kind of um symbiotic with the hydrilla, or is it just epiphytic to the point where it just needs something to grow on? I don't know. I don't think anyone's looked into that too closely. Yeah, at least from what I could find. So I guess that's a question where maybe it doesn't really matter what you do you know like the mm-hmm. the question isn't maybe we need to get yeah i guess it's it, it's it's not a sort of thing where it's oh we need to get rid of the hydrilla it's we need to figure out a way to manage the system where the cyanobacteria aren't producing that toxin and i guess yeah. at this point they know it's it's the bromides because i think the cyanobacteria will always be there i can't imagine it's the sort of thing where they need the hydrilla yeah i don't know i know hmm actually i don't know um with the <laughs> diaquat i wonder if that's killing that cyanobacteria at all or having an effect so Um, i mean if the cyanobacteria is epiphytic right and it can't survive in the water column yeah i mean mm -hmm. if the hydrilla dies i'm sure the cyanobacteria does too no i mean like but like does i can't recall oh is that herbicide specifically is that herbicide killing killing the cyanobacteria too i see it Um, could be killing all the other fun stuff in the water giving um you know, giving the cyanobacteria a little little niche to fill in the community. So that's fun yeah. too. 
Yeah, this is this is right up Riley's alley too. Chemical <laughs> controls that. are fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's no easy uh, fix, everyone. No, there isn't. It's yeah, we're talking about that in the lab a little bit now. You know, it's it's nice talking to new students and they're like, Oh, well, how can people still use copper sulfate? I'm like, just because it works. It's cheap. We, you know, it works. Yep. It's just one of those things you can treat like an entire lake for pennies on the dollar, really. Yep. It's insane. And it works. I mean, yeah. yeah, stuff comes back, but it just if you're just trying to get rid of get rid of the green, it works, man. Mm-hmm. But hmm. yeah. Well, cool. Well, for the listeners, um the article that Matt just talked about oh, um, yeah. is also on Fishwater and Travel. If you are a reader rather than a listener, you can find it there. That's our sister website, mother website. <laughs> and the mothership that's what we're gonna call it yeah, the mothership any documents um <laughs> will be on there so um yeah well good job matt this was fun i did not yeah. haven't heard about this one so fun cool that's what i like we, we aim to educate here riley so i'm glad i'm glad you learned something today <laughs> yep continue <laughs> learning. see ya. all right bye matt